I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine, the show that looks through the working day of an author. Now this week we chat to the fantastic debut thriller writer Harriet Tice. Harriet worked as a lawyer before she started writing Blood Orange, and they say, write what you know. And that's pretty much what this is. Uh, We talk about the story through the chat. Also, we find out how she has perfected her writing routine by working on novels through the years that were never published. Also, uh, you can hear why she felt the need to go back to university to study creative writing. And having finally been published, how she's taking the reviews. There was a fantastic um, Goodreads review of someone who threw it away from her after 60 pages saying, these people are just so horrible, I can't do it. And you say, well, you know what? At least they seem to be responding. It's creating a a visceral response. Um, And you can't really ask for more than that. I mean, it'd be awful if people were just sitting there going, it's a bit boring, it's not really, it's not really, it's just sort of sat on the page, it's not really coming alive, it's boring writing, it's plodding. So stick around, it's all on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello, my name's Dan Simpson, this is Writer's Routine Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Uh, I'm recording this in my flat at the moment, so sorry if it's a little bit echoey, that's why. Uh, It's been very busy for us here, actually. Uh, What with the World Book Day Best Bits podcast that we released yesterday, in fact. Did you manage to catch it yet? Uh, If you missed out, it's all the the greatest tips and pieces of advice that we've heard from the authors on this show over the last 12 months. Uh, And if you have missed it, make sure you do catch up. It's right now free for you to download on your favourite podcast place. And when you listen, if you enjoy it, which I'm sure you're going to, and if your favourite podcast place is Apple, uh, I'd love for you to quickly leave us a a, a review. It takes barely minutes of your time. Just drop your name, leave us five stars and write a few nice words over there if you can. It really helps out with the show. Also, while you're on there, make sure that you subscribe to the show uh, so then the new episodes will automatically download for you. And we've got some big episodes on the way with Booker Prize nominee Adam Folds, uh, Callie Taylor, she's coming up. We've got Jeffrey Deaver and also Frank Cotterell-Boyce will be on. Now this week, our guest is Harriet Tice. After working for years as a lawyer, she packed it all in when she had kids and she started writing. She didn't just start writing though, didn't just sit down in front of the keyboard. I guess she did things the proper way, you might say. She went back to university, she trained in creative writing. Now she talks us through that and actually the cunning reason that she went back to university uh, because it wasn't just to learn more about writing. There was some sly research going on with it. 
that's on the way. Also, uh, she talks about psychological thriller as a genre and how she made sure Blood Orange fitted into that, but also strayed away from it. And we'll talk about how much she thought about style, words and language. We've also got a top writing tip from a successful author all about getting away from the desk. Now, a quick warning, uh, the volume levels might be a little bit all over the place on this one. It it was quite hard for me to record. Uh, Nothing too bad, but if I do suddenly boom out on the chat, that'll be why. And I've warned you, so it'll be fine. And let's jump into it then with Harriet Tice and find out where she sits down to write. I see two cats, a dog... A lot of books piled up on shelves and on the floor, and I see my duvet, because I pretty much always write in bed. Uh, So You say pretty much always. I mean, this is your debut novel. So how have you discovered that that's the best way for you to work? Um, This may be my debut novel that has been published. Um, There are many, 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 many thousands of words in drawers um, and in virtual drawers scattered around the ether. Um, I've been writing for about... 10 years now so yeah there's there's one finished novel beforehand and two unfinished novels so I I have worked out by now how I'm comfortable and where it it, it's not good for me physically my back is absolutely crocked and I have a lovely desk and I have a lovely chair and I really ought to use them more but I find that for getting into this sort of cocoon-like state I need to in order to create yeah lovely poncy word there but um I just find working in bed is the best place and then the cats come and sit on me and the dog and it's actually very sort of convivial for what can be quite a solitary exercise you use the word cocoon there that brings to mind quite a solitary existence do you have the window open are you letting the light in or is it fully black no 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 no. I've got a nice view of trees out the back so that I can see some trees and I always have light and it's not dark Um, it's not dark and there isn't a window open because otherwise it can get a bit fetid with all of the animal life Um, but it's um, but still cocoon in the sense of you know it's like being in a sleeping bag in the middle of the wild that you know your head's out in the cold and your hands but you know that you're kind of safe at the same time. So we've mentioned it being in the bed kind of what's around the walls but what about your ideas and the plotting we'll come to how you plot a bit later on but do we see evidence of your ideas and the plots scattered around the walls? Do you have post-it notes? Do you have a big whiteboard somewhere? No, I tend to... I've managed to school myself in how to use Scrivener, which I really like. I mean, I know that it's not for everyone, but I do a lot of notes in notebooks to start with, but then I start to get it down on the computer, and actually the whole thing is on the laptop rather than scattered around I mean I've tried cork boards but they don't I mean real life cork boards and index cards but it just doesn't doesn't work for me doesn't I mean I know it works for lots of people and maybe I should try it but I I I sort of write things down and then I just find typing it all out and lots of documents with bullet points and I move things around Um, what do you think that is I mean uh, we'll come to the day in a second but I've never really stopped to explore why it works for some authors and why it doesn't work for others. I mean, do you want to try and unpack that for a second? Why, for you, it's best to just get it all down and start writing? Well, I think that, I mean, I still have the amount of notes. I still have the amount of planning. But it's, I think possibly it's because it, I operate best in a form of tunnel vision. And so if it's actually on the computer in front of me, then it's as if, 
it's just me and the screen and I'm not having to look around me to see a whiteboard on one side or an image wall on the other side that I, I don't necessarily operate I keep saying this and I don't quite know what I mean when I say it but I don't necessarily operate in a visual way and this I don't picture things they just sort of come I know that's a really inarticulate way of it. So if I could write it down, I'm sure I could make sense of it. But I just find writing it down and, and particularly now typing it and seeing it in words on the screen is the way that I make the best sense of it. So it, it I don't want everything spread out in lots of different places because that makes my thinking confused. If it is on the document, you know, there's a document with bullet points, there's a, a document with a timeline, I can just switch between those windows and see what's happening on the screen, but it's all there absolutely bang in front of me. So I don't need to deviate from that one point of vision. Does that make any sense? Perfect. And I'm gonna unpick it and we'll talk about that in just a second. Mm-hmm. But there is order to maintain the show is called writer's routine harriet talk me through yours the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you're cocooned in your bed um okay yeah i guess go back to bed you're always in bed talk me through your day of work your day of writing how does it go um on a day that i'm actually showing discipline about it um once i've done the school run and hopefully had a bit of a walk i then retreat back to the cocoon and get the laptop out and if i am mid writing in that if the planning's done and I'm actually getting on with the book or or with the draft then I would aim to write about a thousand words a day I find that that's the best amount for quality work if I mean I can push out more but it doesn't necessarily make it better I mean if it's a good day if it's a good day and I can do 2,000 or whatever then that's fantastic but I tend to find after about a thousand that I can't really think anymore and I try and get it done in a couple of hours just because again it's this sort of focus it's this sort of it it might take me a while to get to the point of starting but then when I start I kind of blast it out and then I look at it a bit and then I go oh and I walk away and I look a bit at what I've done the day before and I go oh actually that's not as bad as I thought it was because distance makes it less full of flaws um so that I mean but to say that I sit down and I you know I will write between 10 and 12 is 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 a bit of a that's an idealistic way of putting it that if I can I do otherwise I might spend hours on Twitter before I actually get to what I'm meant to be doing and you know and if I do a good paragraph then if I do a good sentence I might have a look at Twitter for five minutes or you know anything but the work in progress but I don't see that it's it's not a distraction I mean I think that you know I do a bit then I have to pull back and let it do let it percolate let it see how it's worked itself out and then I can look at it again and see if it's actually achieved what I wanted it to achieve and what direction it's taking me in Um, I don't think I would exist well in a completely um, no external contact whatsoever during the process I mean people talk about freedom as being a good the 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 internet the the internet blocker you know that you can set it up for this sort of pomodoro like half an hour or the the chunks of work and I mean that's all well and good and maybe it would work but I just sit and stare out the window otherwise it's my kind of virtual equivalent of staring out the window for a bit blankly is sort of scrolling through Twitter going oh god politics and then going back to the screen and getting on with making up a world I find preferable so um, but yeah a thousand words a day as a as a kind of baseline 
seems to me to be okay and then if I need to do planning on different bits then I'll do some more plotting around and sort of play with the edges of it because the plotting bits actually the, that's the fun bit and that you can do for hours without getting bored of it it's not like the writing which takes such a huge amount of concentration at least for a short period of time I mean it's very intense burst and then you know generally I'd like to have a little nap to kind of recover from the process before then you know kids are back from school and I've got to start thinking about dinner again and you know all of the sort of domestic stuff I think that it's a it's an organic process I mean I knew with Blood Orange I knew the character and I knew more or less what the what her situation was, what the context of her existence was. Um, and I knew the, I knew how it ended. I knew completely how it ended, and that scene was always very clear. Not the epilogue, but the sort of the final scene within the narrative was always, that was always how it was going to end. But I didn't know for a while to whom that was going to happen. And that was something that it, it, it sort of, developed as I wrote and I worked out that direction so I had it wasn't even a road map I knew I needed to get to this end point I knew what my start point was and I knew that and then as I worked through it I knew I had to bring in various beats that would help to make it to make the story actually work as a story I mean I've read lots of story structure books and I'm not terribly good at adopting them very very strictly I mean some of them get so complex it makes my brain hurt I mean I love Save the Cat but when it starts getting into break into two and that kind of thing I have to go away and look up what that actually means every time Um, but I do know that for something to work for a reader and for my own reading that you need to have the you need to have the catalyst you need to have the rising action you've got to have the moment of climax that and then you can bring in the save the cat that you need to have the moment when all seems to be lost and and that's what lends itself to a satisfying narrative in the end that you have that sort of aristotelian character development that runs through as well so that in this this is a sort of sadder and wiser character arc um you know, underneath all of the story, that's what is actually happening, that she starts off in a complete mess and she ends up in a different position, but we hope maybe has learnt something from the situation. And I think that having that in the back of my mind as a necessity is what I mean about the plotting as I go, that that you, you sort of build on what you start with and you think, right, well, I've achieved this bit, but I know I need to bring this in now. So I'm going to bring... And then as you work it out, you work in where you need to seed in plot points so that somebody getting to the end won't think oh, where did that come from hang on that's just cheating that they can then go back through should they be so minded and see what the clues are that have been seeded in I mean of course sometimes you go right back when you finish the draft and put a bit more in but I tried to let it happen as it happened so thank you for bringing up the roadmap metaphor I usually have to do a lot of legwork trying to try and explain that <laughs> during the the interviews um you say that you you know where you're starting, you know more or less where you're finishing, yeah. although fairly ambiguously, perhaps with this one, as in you know what was happening, but not who to. Yeah. At what point, as you're going along this drive, are things making themselves clear in the roadmap? So not retroactively, not having to go back and put in clues, but do you know, when you sit down at the start of your day to try and get your 1,000 words down, do you know what they're going to mean? Do you know what, yes. what's happening? Yes, I know what... Um 
as by the time I get to the end of I, it's it, I work in scenes really. I, I mean, these chunks of a thousand words sort of lend themselves quite well to each thousand words being a scene, um, and in that scene something has to be achieved in terms of the story development that there there has to be it's got to do something it's got to move the plot on or the character development on um each time that you don't i mean someone said i mean i know it's 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 something that they probably say in every single writing course but it always stuck with me that if when you're editing afterwards if you can take a scene out and the whole thing just stays exactly the same then you know you don't need it so you want to make sure that every single scene means something so each time I do one bit and then I go right okay what needs I've done this what needs to happen now and so I will know at the beginning that I need to have got them you know either physically moved to a place or a new character needs to have been introduced or a new concept or a a dramatic incident that something has to be done and I don't necessarily know at the beginning of that process that that day of writing how it's going to happen that I'll start and suddenly it'll be like oh okay they've had a fight over a dinner party or you know whatever it might be that you go oh that's how that's going to happen then okay that's interesting but I know what has to be achieved before I start and then and then it, it seems to find its way to happen well I think that it was reading the acknowledgements of Apple Tree Yard um, in which Louise Doughty thanks a barrister with whom she'd spent I think a period of four or six weeks at the Old Bailey watching a trial for research for her novel now you see my backstory is that I was a criminal barrister for 10 years so that's 10 years of research I mean I didn't much enjoy the job um, and I have always why not I just found the stress of it too much and it's a very high aggression, quite hostile environment and the stakes are very high. Um, And I left when I had children because it's not, you can't do a part-time job of being a criminal barrister. You're either in it completely or you may as well not bother and so I stopped. Um, And I read those acknowledgements and I thought, well, hang on a minute, Harriet, you've got all of this experience, you've got all of these things that you could write about, why on earth are you not using this in some way? Um, And then a second part of the inspiration was that um, I don't know if you will have seen this life, because I think you might be too young for this life, but this life was an incredibly... um, Oh, it was amazing. It was a series about six young professionals starting out in London, and it had a pupil barrister called Anna, who was just brilliant, a sort of hard-drinking, hard-smoking, played by the actress Daniela Nardini, and it was fantastic. And that was on just when I started pupillage. And I'm not saying Anna was a role model, because <laughs> she was clearly not a role model, but she was she was great, and I the programme resonated so much with me. And... Of course, I left the bar when I had kids, but I just kept thinking, well, what would have happened if Anna had stayed at the bar? And what what do you do? How do you transform from having this very sort of laddie, blokish existence to combining the constraints of family life with the demands of the job? And, I mean, I'm not for a moment saying that all primary carers for children are mothers but that was the line I went down because that was what my process of decision had to be so I thought well let's let's look at this what's it going to be like let's you've got this character so she's not given up she's keeping going and 
what are all of the pressures that are coming to bear on her? What's her husband? So if she's being able to work full-time and take all these trials, that means either they've got a full-time nanny, but no, she's not. it's not that kind of... You know, they haven't got that sort of money. So that means that her husband is going to be, or the father of her child is going to be dealing with the daughter a lot more. And, and what will be the strains that will develop from that? Um, and it gave me a situation that was, you know, immediately fraught. And then you throw in lots of other complications and you have a psychological thriller, or at least you hope you have a psychological thriller. And it, it seems I did. So, But... So that's kind of the big concept then. And, yes. and, you know, you've got the elements there of the psychological yeah. thriller, as you say. But then, then you need, there needs to be the plot in that as well. Yeah, like there, there needs does. to be a mystery Absolutely. to solve, a murder on the table. What happens next for you then? So you've got this idea of, um, you know, a mum who's also a lawyer. Uh, there's tension there. Then what happens? How do you sit down and think, right, there needs to be something that so, goes well, the on? Catalyst, the catalyst is... Um, the catalyst is when she is given her first murder trial and it's a domestic violence case I think I can say that without spoilers that becomes obvious pretty immediately but it's a case where the um, defendant has been found sitting covered in blood with a knife next to her um, on the floor next to the body of her husband you would think that seems pretty cut and dried Um, however Legally speaking, there are a number of defences to murder, even if someone is saying, as Madeleine Smith is, that she's done it and that she's guilty. And it's through unpicking the legal defences and the possible ways that the case could be run that Alison, the main protagonist, starts to, I think, even subliminally recognise some parallels in her own home existence and the situation that she's in because she's also as I may not have the other not necessarily catalyst but the other huge complicating factor in her life is that she is having a very toxic affair with her instructing solicitor who it turns out has given her this murder trial and so we have a catalyst which is the trial and we have an ongoing complication of the relationship and what on the face of it is uh, a good family life that she is willfully trashing Um, but as with all domestic noir all is not as it seems Um, and through the process of the trial which is the 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 process of the trial was what gave me the the timeline of the fictive present that that she's given the instructions to this resolution so it's over that two to three months that the story runs um, and through the process of that trial, she, she various things happen that cause her to... Well, she has to face a long, dark night of the soul before resolution is reached. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. More from Harriet Tyson in a little bit. We'll also get a top writing tip from an author in just a sec. Uh, First, let's get some of yours on. If you've got a little bit of advice that's changed the way that you work, something that's really helped you get your story down on paper, I'd love to hear it, and then I can share it. You can let me know what it is over at writersroutine.com. Just click on the contact page while you're there. Uh, Let's see, this is from Margaret in Leeds, here in the UK. Hey, Margaret. Uh, She says that she spent the whole journey recently uh, driving to and from a writing retreat listening to the show, trying to absorb all the help that she could. I kind of understand listening to it on the way to your writing retreat, but on the way home, I just stick the radio on, listen to some of my favourite songs. I think after four days locked away, bashing away at the keyboard, the last thing that I probably want to hear is more tips from authors. Anyway, Margaret, thank you so much for this tip, your writing advice. She says uh, it's to get one of those USB coffee warmer things. You know, the thing that you plug into your laptop and it keeps everything heated up. She says you plug it in, then you don't need to keep getting up and down, up and down. And you get a nice, warm sip of coffee when you really need it. Because quite often you forget that you've got a drink next to you. Cheers for that, Margaret. Also, uh, Neil. Neil in Canberra in Australia. Neil, I love that you're listening to us on the other side of the world to where I am. Uh, And thanks for the tip as well. You say that you occasionally mix it up. And you like writing by hand every now and then with a pen because it helps your stories because you stop thinking about the actual words that you're struggling with and more about, you know, remembering how to use your hand to write. I kind of get that. But Neil, surely it's a bit of a faff because then it adds more time later on in the edit because you have to retype it up. But still, what works for you works for you. Thanks for getting in touch, mate. Uh, And finally, this is from Ellen. Ellen in Canada, flipping around the other side of the world to another continent. Ellen has something very simple for us. Uh, She says, stand up and do 10 star jumps every hour and a half on that 90 minutes. Make sure that you're up on your feet, moving about, getting the blood and the ideas pumping. Brilliant idea, Ellen. You know, I know that loads of people go on walks, but this tip means you don't stray too far from your keyboard just in case you get a burst of inspiration. And also it helps keeping fit because writing is usually quite a sedentary life. So thank you so much for those. And if you've got a tip that has changed your writing life, if you think it might work for everyone else as well, you can fire it over to me on the contact page at writersroutine.com. Right, let's get a storytelling tip from a professional on the show now. A published author who has been there, who has done it, and she wants you to stop writing and start thinking about the world that you're creating. Hi, my name's Nuala Elwood and my latest novel is Day of the Accident and here is my writing tip. Step away from the desk and absorb yourself in the world of your novel. 
this is something that I do a lot with my novels uh, at the research stage, and it's proved invaluable for me. Um, for example, that the last novel um, I wrote was based in the Yorkshire Dales, and I've just spent uh, a couple of weeks out there really immersing myself, not only in the landscape, but in the people and the characters out there. And for this reason, I think you'll find also, as well as getting a real sense of the place, you'll get a sense of the people, and that will help you create authentic dialogue, which is something that is very tricky to to uh, to get right. So that would be my tip. Get out, book your tickets and absorb yourself in the world of your novel. Now you can get more tips, help and advice from Nula on her full episode. It's the last one that we did. It's not too hard to find. You can download it wherever you get your podcast from and you can also have a listen over at writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to our main guest on the show. Harriet Tice is here with her writing day. Her brand new book, Blood Orange, it's out right now, all about Alison, the lawyer, who's got it all, when suddenly she starts letting it go, things get in the way, and it all starts slipping away from her. Now, in this half, we chat about responses and reviews, and how creative she thinks lawyers really can ever be. Uh, It's a really interesting answer. It's at the end, so make sure you stick around for that. And we jump back into it, talking about writing style, substance, and what she wanted her tone to be. I was very keen to make sure it was clear and I think I did go down the route of too much extraneous detail for quite some time but I wrote this while I was doing an MA in a creative writing MA at UEA in crime fiction specializing in crime fiction and so pretty much all of it was workshopped by my cohort of fellow students and also it was read by tutors and they were very good at going oi it doesn't matter I mean there were bits I wanted to bring in about cuts to legal aid and I mean that there's the criminal justice system is under huge assault at the moment and people just no don't you don't no stop it we don't need to know that stop it and you know there is that point that people talk about in other authors talk about the fact that they've gone and researched you know they've researched something and they're so keen because they've really enjoyed the research and they've got so much material and that you can sometimes tell when you read books because it's just full of all of this detail that actually really doesn't take the plot further forward so I was I mean I had people going away no but also I was reasonably disciplined about I did try and be very clear in my own mind does this serve the story and everything is always about does it serve the story it goes back to that point I made that if you can take it out and it doesn't make any difference then don't put it in or just be happy to delete it you know just just go back and cut sorry you've mentioned psychological thriller domestic noir um how do you know when you start writing a book that a novel that is going to end up in that genre what needs to be put into it well i think that i mean there are various tropes that you know are I mean, no, I'm not going to say that because that's a spoiler. Um, I think there are various tropes that you know that if you're um, dealing with a relationship book of this sort, that, that there's got to be... It's hard, to, it's hard to know how to break it down. I mean, I sp- I've, re- I mean I've read an awful lot of them and I've analysed an awful lot of them through the course and just through my own reading of it. And I did an English degree before I became a barrister as well, so I have got quite an analytical approach to books that I read. Um, and you know what the necessary beats are and you know what the necessary um, 
characters are. And at the same time, though, that you can know that, and I did know that, but I also thought there are things I really want to do differently from everything that I've read before. And one of the features I felt incredibly strongly about was that so many psychological thrillers are predicated on the transgressive woman being punished that 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 she always ends up you know and and it's not even just in psychological thrillers that you know you start off with the scarlet letter you've got Tessa the Durbervilles you've got um so many books in which Madame Bovary Anna Karenina you know, they all end up dead don't they they all end up bloody dead and actually it's it's extremely frustrating because Men, on the other hand, it doesn't, you know, transgressive men are sort of embraced as being these, oh, they're full characters, look at the maverick go, isn't this marvellous? Whereas, you know, the moment that you've got a woman behaving badly, it's like, you know, stone the witch, stone the witch. And I thought, well, no, that's nonsense, because women are full characters too. Women are flawed, and they can do good things, and they can do bad things. And why on earth does it have to fall into this binary dichotomy of good or bad and that we you know we reward the good and we destroy the bad and also there's a huge trope of lack of agency that they just just sit there bleating helplessly and you know being tied up until someone comes and rescues them or maybe that you know it's it's I was keen on on trying to move away from I was trying to move away from the the either the 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 deserving victim being rescued by a man. I was trying to sort of create something a bit different, um, which I think, I mean, certainly the response I've had from readers has been quite strongly that those who have got it have really got it and have said, no, this is, this is, this is properly feminist. And, um, and there's a, journalist called Naomi Frisbee who said that it was if you like your domestic noirs dark twisty and sticking it to the patriarchy this is the book for you which I I said I'd get it in the tattoo I mean I have to say I haven't got it in the tattoo yet because I don't have the guts to go and get it it's a busy day as well publication this was a good this was a good six months I've had time to get a tattoo but you know I'm a bit pathetic and you know quite old so I probably won't but um but I think that that was I I did want it to be I I did want her to be flawed. I wanted her to be complicated. I didn't feel that she needed to be immediately likable because I thought, well, I'd like her. My friends would like her. So, you know, let's 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 go for it. Speaking about how you wanted your protagonist to be there yes. and also the difference between male and female characters in genres and how they're perceived... I would say one of the the main tropes of psychological thriller is that you inhabit the, the world of this lead at all times. How do you ensure that that character is as believable and as relatable as... Well, perhaps not relatable, because not everyone does some of the ghastly things that people do in psychological thrillers. But believable. How how do you make sure that they're completely three-dimensional? I've absolutely no idea. You just hope they are. I mean, you, you write it as best you can. I mean, and I think that in that you have to show a full range of emotional responses and... I mean, the best I could do was think, well, what would I feel? What would I think? Okay, so I'm going to put myself in this situation now and I'm going to think, how does that feel? And mentally you have to put yourself in the scene as much as you possibly can to be, you know, that you want to employ all five senses, that you you want to try and create an an immersive sort of situation. I mean, and I think one of the 
advantages of doing it first person, particularly present tense, is that it is you do inhabit it you inhabit that character and so you just try and I tried to write it in as real a way as I could um you don't know if it you only know if it succeeded if if depending on people's responses I mean I will say again in terms of readers responses and there was a blogger review yesterday which I absolutely loved because she said that people are discussing Alison as if she's a real person that people have refused to um, recommend it because they don't like her and I just sat there going well, that's mate you don't she's not real you know she's not real you know it's just they're just words on a page it's not actually real and yet they're sort of they they uh, there was a fantastic um Goodreads review of someone who threw it away from her after 60 pages saying these people are just so horrible I can't do it and you say well you know what at least they seem to be responding it's it's creating a it's creating a visceral response um and you can't really ask for more than that I mean it'd be awful if people were just sitting there going oh, it's a bit boring oh, it's not really it's not really it's just sort of sat on the page it's not really coming alive it's boring writing it's plodding um that I mean I'm not please don't tempt fate please don't just to yeah that'll serve me right if <laughs> hubris and all that but um I don't know how you do it I didn't do it. I didn't set. I mean, I set out to do it, but it, it's not as if I had some sort of blueprint of this is how you make something real. I'm quite sure there's other things I'll write that won't feel as real, but it seems to have come off with this. I mean, I think it's helped because I was because I was writing about a criminal barrister. I had had that work life, and I have a domestic. You know, I I've got a husband and kids and pets. I mean, I've got a much happier existence than Alison. But, you know, I, I can imagine moments at the school gate when you don't feel, you know, when you feel excluded and I can imagine people being sniffy about food I've cooked and, you know, I'm quite sensitive to criticism. So I guess I took all of those, you know, all of my moments of neurosis through my life and, and packaged them up in, in poor Alison. Well, I think in terms of the style of writing, um, when I first started writing, I was writing a feminist dystopian, mercifully never to see the light of day. But um, and that I think what came through in how I wrote it was that it was it was written in the style of a psychological thriller, which I didn't set out to do. Obviously, I was trying to do something different. But then I realised that that was how I write. I like writing like that. I like that sort of slight. I like a bit cliffhanger, a bit tension, trying to sort of ramp up tension with the minimum of description with the minute you know that that I want everything to be in the way that somebody picks up a cup and puts it back down on the table rather than the air was crackling with tension you know I want to try and keep it all to be I mean I know it's the awful cliche the show don't tell but I have always had that in the back of my mind that I find I can't bear expositional writing you know where it lays it all out explaining it I'd much rather that you you should be able to deduce a situation really clearly from how two people speak to each other how two people behave towards each other in their body language that you shouldn't need it to be laid out on a plate and I think that that is something that psychological thrillers do is that they that it's all kind of illusion and not illusion it's 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 all about looking at you're looking at something and you think it's what you see but actually it's not it's something else and that is 
again, I'm not being articulate about it because it's just it just seems to be how I write best. And I don't think I could write a romantic novel if I tried. To put it this way, when I read Eleanor Oliphant, which I actually, I loved it. I didn't think I would, and I absolutely loved it. It was really heartwarming. But there's a point where she got a cat, and I just thought something awful is going to happen to that cat. That cat's going to get it, isn't it? Because I've just got the whole psychological thriller aspect of tension so... I know it runs through me like a stick of rock that I just assume the moment that you see a cat, it's going to die. Um, I've never killed a cat, but um, not in the making of any novel or else. Um, but it's... Um, no, so it was it was a style that seemed to have... into which I seemed to have fallen. And then, you know, of course you then start thinking, well, what are the ways to ensure that you keep it compulsive reading what's the ways to ensure that you keep the tension going and shortish chapters is a very good Lee Child gave that advice he did a masterclass at UEA and that you know he said that you do a chapter that's the length of time that someone can read before they go to bed or that they can read on a short commute so that you know you move on each time reach has moved on um, but that's achieved in I'm not sure how many words, but, you know, whether a 1,000, 2,000 or whatever. But you don't want the chapters to be too long. You need, As I say, I work in scenes, and no scene really lasts terribly long. You know, that it's that interaction between people or interaction with, you know, whether it's something that she discovers in the case or, or whatever it might be, that, that each of those is a building block to the climax at least that's what you hope it is so keeping it brief is quite good you mentioned lee child's advice there yes as at a masterclass yes. at uea where yes. you did a, an ma in yes. creative writing yes why did you feel the need to do that um because i knew when i had when i'd finished the the psychological thriller i wrote before um it was getting good nose it i sent it out to i don't know maybe about 20 agents or something and i had six requests for the full manuscript and that was brilliant you know it was a it was the first time I'd had that kind of response and all of them pretty much said no with really good feedback and they while I don't think nobody said that they wanted to look at it again if it were redrafted but they were very much we'd like to see something else you write you know if you keep going and so that was in itself made me think well I'm onto something but I couldn't I couldn't really work out I knew things had gone wrong with that book and I had a feeling it was structural but I couldn't quite work out how to fix it um, and also there is just the fact that it's quite a solitary existence and I didn't have a writing group in place and I like being in writing groups um, and you know on a if we're going to be tactical about this that by doing courses like that you do have the opportunity to get your work put in front of agents with a bit more of a you know if you say that you've done the course or if you've met them at a talk they've done at UEA or at you know so one of the other courses that it it shows that you're serious in your commitment to improving your craft and that you're actually you're taking it seriously um so for me it was it was very effective that I learned a lot about plot and structure. I don't think my writing changed dramatically in style. Um, I mean, I think I got leaner, which was good, but I don't think I'd ever been not lean, but it got more, it got tighter, and I think I got the point across better. Uh, what were you taught that, that 
forced you to become leaner? Like, how did well, you I learn that? Just you by workshopping other people as much as anything else, that you see where they've got extraneous detail. As I said, I have a bit of a thing against expositional writing, and you know, I've seen quite a lot of it, and I'm always there, just scribbling it out, going, no, no. And I mean, and that's as well, because I've had that feedback on my own work. If I've said he's crying, it's like, show me the snot, um, which. I think is quite again it, it it makes it more real it makes it more visceral and um so I think it's all a process of improvement I mean I can't I've been trying to I've said this a few times and I can't remember the book I read it in and it'll probably be something like blink but the 10,000 hours of practice yeah it's Malcolm Gladwell it's, it's isn't Michael, it? yes that's right yeah. it's Malcolm Gladwell that 10,000 hours of practice will make you good at something and at least you hope it might. You know, God, if it didn't, then you really ought to just stop. But uh, or, or not bother about being good at it, just enjoy it for doing it for its own sake. But um, I think that really the more that you do it and the more that you're prepared to listen to criticism and take that on board and try and adapt according to the criticism you've received, um, the better you ought to become. Let me ask you this, mm-hmm. and I've been waiting for a long time Ooh. to ask an author this because you are a lawyer. Okay. I was once speaking to a, an author who used to be in telly, a TV producer. Okay. And he said that he found it incredibly hard to write after work because he's used up all his creative juices during the day. But he felt that lawyers were, were in a better position to write uh, a creative thriller perhaps after work, in their own spare, t- spare time, because they've got a lot of unspent creative energy. How do you feel about that? Well, I think that there is actually quite a lot of creativity needed if you're a criminal barrister, and by which I don't mean that you're making it up, but that you're presented with the bare bones of a defence by your client. And you have to then work out a way of putting it together in the most coherent narrative in front of the court to see if you can get them to believe that your client hasn't done it. So you're, you're sort of spinning stories with building blocks and it's the same thing. I mean, I think it's a, you are restricted to an extent, obviously, by the law, but then you're creative with the law and you're finding a way that you can use um, statute as a solution. And it's, I mean, doing commercial law, I didn't find this the case in the slightest, but certainly for criminal law, it's all, it is all about stories, to my mind at least. And that's, 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 that's absolutely how I have always felt that the two join together. But, you know, I really am making stuff up now as opposed to, you know, trying to keep within the bounds of my clients' instructions, but yet yeah, trying to render the completely unbelievable, remotely palatable. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Harriet Tice. Uh, You can find out loads more about her brand new debut novel, Blood Orange. We've got the details to it uh, and places that you can buy it over on our website, writersroutine.com. While you're there, you can catch up with all the episodes we've released so far and find all the different ways to listen to the show. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Uh, If you've not yet done it, make sure you do check out that World Book Day special advice episode. The greatest authors, the best tips uh, and advice that we've had on the show in the last year in one place for you. And if you've got some special writing advice, a little tip that has helped you tell your story, I'd love to share it on this show. Uh, You can send it to me over on the contact page on our website, writersroutine.com. 
Now, make sure you're here next week as well, because we're chatting to the screenwriter, the children's book extraordinaire, uh, and the writer behind the incredible London Olympic Games 2012 opening ceremony. Frank Cotterell Boyce will be on the show. Can't wait for you to hear that. It's a fantastic insight into his pretty chaotic working day. So make sure you subscribe to the show to get it as soon as it comes out. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, I'd love to see a review there with your name. Please go and do that before we chat again. It's next week on Writer's Routine. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.